All right, everyone. Here we have the wonderful, the amazing, the incredible Colin Tooley. Colin, you can edit out my mishap of trying to, to move it in post. <laughs> Colin's the one who edits out all of our mess ups. All of our, the times where Jordan says the F word too much. All of the times <laughs> where he makes us look better than we are. <laughs> So, Colin, go ahead and say whatever you want about now that you're here with the coup. Uh, you, you, uh, you're here with us, and we're so happy. Yeah, no, it's uh, super exciting to actually be doing this all the time now. Um, like, I have a lot of, like, we've been talking about, like, uh, just how, how all the different things that we'll be able to do now and everything that I've been, like, thinking about. Uh, you know, for a long time, but just we've never physically could because I just didn't have the time and stuff like that. So I've just been really excited to, to try all this stuff and uh, uh, see how it goes from here. Um, it's already been, been going pretty good so far as far as uh, on my end, but um, uh, obviously you've been having some technical stuff today. <laughs> yeah, Colin's uh, had to we... hop on Skype with me a, a few times. <laughs> in the past couple hours. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll, we'll be able to iron some of that. So hopefully everything will just be a lot more smoother and we'll be able to get the actual stories and stuff out to you guys uh, without any hiccups. And, and so we can, Jordan and Jen can actually concentrate on those uh, story things like you'll see like Jordan will, or Jen will be working on stories in the back. Oh, um, it, they'll be messaging me and then occasionally they'll tweet of like oh we can't go live today or we can't do this because we're busy working on all these background things and so hopefully moving forward not only will they have to do less of that but they'll be able to actually concentrate on the stuff that that matters more which is less trying to get skype to work and more right <laughs> actually uncovering corruption and stuff like that yeah exactly and you know we jordan and i make no secret of the fact that we're not tech savvy at all and uh, I think I, it's safe to say that Jordan less so than me, <laughs> which is saying something. Um, and so it's a, a huge relief to have you. And also you're really creative and I know you've been bubbling over with so many ideas and you just haven't had the time to implement them. I mean, you have had this full-time job and then you had what an hour long commute and you would come home and you would stay up super late. I would sometimes get emails from you at three or four in the morning. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, Colin, you stayed up so late. I feel so bad. Uh, so I hope that those days at least are are in the rear view mirror uh, for you. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just so excited about what, where to go from here. Just the, the, the things that you've already come up with the things that I don't know you you just you have such good ideas and I know your your brain is turning with where we can take status quo <laughs> and uh and I guess uh, maybe some new things I guess you guys like didn't know that I uh do camera work and stuff like that so yeah that was we were talking to Colin uh, when we were so for uh, we wanted Colin to to 
um, basically to, to quit his job and be with us for a long time. But as you guys, the viewers know, we're a really small company and we just don't have a lot of money. So it's taken us a long time. You know, priority was bringing Colin on, but we just didn't have the funds. And so it became a, a serious discussion only recently because it only became possible recently um and by no means are any of the three of us making bank no <laughs> no we're all three of us making sacrifices uh because we believe so strongly in status quo and the stories and you know giving the microphone back to the people and covering these important stories so um i'm just thrilled that now the time has come and i know <laughs> that it, it's hard to find people who kind of share the, the same vision. And I, I look around at, at other people, you know, in the, the space, even, even other independent media. There are a lot of great independent journalists, independent media companies, what have you. But in the end, for a lot of people, it does come down to money and clout and things like that. And it is hard to find people who are truly in it for the right reasons you know obviously we all want to live and we all have to live and eat and and um and all that but it's we all share an outrage about what's going on in, in this country and and you share that and so it's been a dream of ours jordan and i would say often through these years um through these past four or five years gosh i wish we could just have Colin, you know, Colin's the nicest, Colin's, um, Colin's so great at what he does, like, if we could only have Colin, like, the, it would be so much easier, um, we've had, you know, some ups and downs with others in the past who we've tried to get to help us, and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason, and it's like, oh, it would be so much easier if we had Colin. So it always comes back to Colin. <laughs> Not to blow your head up too much, Colin, but but truly, it's uh, you're a real gem, and I'm really happy and excited about the direction that status quo is going to go now. I think that this was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, and especially, like, like you were saying, this is... Uh, it's not just like oh cool I got a got a new editing job or something like that it's it you know I actually care about these issues and stuff like that like if if I obviously I didn't like the commute but if I wanted to I could stay at my previous job and I'd eventually get a teacher retirement and all that fun stuff if I just wanted something stable and easy but I genuinely you know believe in what status quo is doing and, and standing for it and have uh I have great hope for where, where it's going in the future as well. I wanted to update you about the crazy situation with YouTube. The insane situation with YouTube. I'll give you a little refresher if you don't remember. So here's what happened last week, at the end of last week. YouTube's removed another status quo video, citing harassment and cyberbullying. This is a disgrace um, at YouTube creators. This video is a compilation of hard-hitting 2020 reporting on Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, interviews with Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Pramila Jayapal, etc. 
fix it. So that got a lot of attention. And then this is the video YouTube removed, citing harassment and cyberbullying. It's absurd behavior from YouTube. Watch for yourself. And then I shared the link or Jordan shared the link. It, spoiler alert, it was actually me because Jordan's on his honeymoon. So here's the update. Let me zoom in for you here. YouTube has reinstated our video and apologized for the frustration. They had the audacity to blame the censorship on India's COVID crisis. Yeah, you read that right. They blamed the censorship on India's COVID crisis. Still waiting on the other videos to be reinstated that CNN, NBC, etc. licensed from us that YouTube took down from our channel. So here's part of the <laughs> email that they sent us after I sent the email complaining and telling them that they're insane. Hi everyone, hope you all had great weekends. I'm following up to confirm that the video, Status Quo 2020, has been reinstated as it did not violate our community guidelines. We're sorry for any frustration that this caused and want to provide more details on why it happened. Due to an increased COVID-19, or excuse me, due to increased COVID-19 infections in certain parts of the world, and particularly in India, YouTube must continue relying on, more on technology to quickly identify and remove content that violates our community guidelines. This will allow our teams that review content to safely remain at home and means automated systems may remove some content without human review. Hmm, fascinating. I just cannot believe that they have the audacity to blame India's COVID crisis for removing our 2020 reporting with sitting members of Congress, with Breonna Taylor's um, aunt, with George Floyd protests, with, re you know, reporting on the disgustingness of the Proud Boys. Um, just so much incredible reporting went into that and they had the audacity to remove it. What are they thinking? They're not thinking. And now, oh, they got called out on their BS oh, it's, oh, it's India's fault. It's India's COVID crisis's fault. Whoopsie. Whoops. No, you crazy lunatics. That's an insane reason. What are you doing? And importantly, why are our other 10 or so videos still not reinstated? And why is it okay for NBC and CNN to license such footage from us and they are allowed to have it up on YouTube and we are not? Just because they have, we do not have CNN in our name, we do not have MSNBC in our name, they can have it up and we cannot. It's the same old footage. It's the same historic footage. They can have it, we cannot. Double standards? Yes, admittedly admitted directly by YouTube to us. We have the emails. They don't even hesitate to admit it anymore. No hesitation at all. So that's the update. So on the question of what Biden will do, Jeremy Scahill, you know, we don't know exactly. We, we know that Blinken has given a not great answer. Here's his not great answer.
we're speaking of the principle of self-defense. Uh, we no, certainly. I'm asking if you think that the principle of self-defense applies to the retaliatory the, the, the airstrikes that they're conducting in response. Matt, this to is it. a very fluid situation. I, I would hesitate to uh, comment on operations beyond you know the rocket fire that uh, is clearly targeting innocent civilians uh, in Israel. So I would hesitate to speak to specific operations um, that have just occurred. But the broader principle of self-defense is something. Um, we uh, uh, we stand by uh, on behalf of Israel yeah, and every other country. Do you think that a Israeli military response to the rockets coming in, it, it, that a, a military response to the rockets coming in is covered by this broader rubric of self-defense, right? Uh, self self-defense often does uh, uh, authorize secondly, the use of force. This, Thank you, Matt. Uh, I want to ask you about East Jerusalem, but to talk about what you said about the principle of self-defense. Does that in any way apply to the Palestinian? Do they have a right to self-defense? Do Palestinians have a right to self-defense? Uh, I'm, in broadly speaking, Saeed, uh, we believe in the concept of self-defense. We believe it applies uh, to any state. I don't think that, I certainly wouldn't I, want uh, my words to be construed no, as- I understand. I, I want to ask you, I don't want to harp on this either, but you know, the Israelis killed 13 people just now, you know, including maybe five or six children. Do you condemn that? Do you condemn the killing of children? <laughs> Said, uh, I, I'm asking, do you condemn the killing of Palestinian children? Obviously, uh, and these reports are just emerging, uh, mm -hmm. and I understand, I was just speaking to the team, I understand we don't have independent confirmation of facts on the ground yet, so I'm very hesitant uh, to get into reports that are just emerging. Right. Uh, obviously, okay. the deaths of civilians, uh, be they Israeli or Palestinians, are something we would take very seriously. Okay. You're going to know as soon as I read what your answer was that there's a big problem with it. You said, well, not a problem, it just doesn't answer the question. We believe that it, meaning the right to self-defense, applies to any state. Well, you see the problem, right? Yes? Do you want to? Do you regard Palestine as a state? I wasn't referring. Do you think that, do you, do you, but you, I, but you I, don't but in the context of the ICC and the UN. I, so are you I, saying that you do not, if it applies to any state, are you saying the Palestinians don't have a right to self-defense? I was making a broader point not attached to uh, Israel or the Palestinians in that case. So they do have a right to self-defense. Matt, I'm, I'm not, I, I I'm, not, I'm, I'm not in a position to, to debate the legalities uh, right. from up here. What, our message is one of de-escalation. Oh, my goodness. So that is courtesy of um, at the National News. How can that guy just stand there un he's unable to say anything really because he he doesn't seem to know what he's allowed to say he doesn't seem to know what his handlers um will allow him to say the the question of do you regard palestine as um you know as, as a state Basically, do you regard Palestine as its own entity or as its own uh, thing worthy of considering? Or should it just be taken over completely and, and not considered at all? Is essentially what that was drilling down to. He, he was all over the place. He couldn't really answer. It's just baffling. And then 
when it came to the airstrikes and the reports that children were dying and by the way many more have, have died or several more have died since then he deflected to oh I, you know that's unconfirmed he's unwilling to say what israel's doing is wrong and bad and you know we don't support it this spokesperson the spokesman so he says the questions from reporters here are solid and the answers from the state department's spokesperson are unfortunately not shocking this is a bipartisan horror and joe biden has a very long history of defending israel's gratuitous violence and killings no one should pretend the u.s is some neutral party in what israel is doing right now Throughout his career, Biden has repeatedly supported Israel when it kills women and children. Ex-Israeli Prime Minister and war criminal uh, Menachem uh, uh, Begin once said, Biden was too extreme even for him on this. In 2001, the Bush administration issued a rare criticism of Israel's targeted killings. Biden rebuked Bush. My view has always been that disagreements between Israel and the United States, those differences should be aired privately, not publicly, Biden said. So here from The Intercept is what he is talking about. So I'm not going to go over this, but you can certainly check it out. In 2006, Israel was bombing both Gaza and southern Lebanon, with Joe Biden cheering Israel on. The Israelis, Biden said on MSNBC, have in both cases, both in Gaza and southern Lebanon, done the right thing. Look at this insane statement Biden made. Biden said his only criticism of the Israelis is they're not that great at public relations. He compared Israel's attacks on Gaza and Lebanon to the U.S. invasion and occupation of Afghanistan after the September 11th attacks. It's a little bit like the same thing we had when we went into Afghanistan, Biden said at a press conference in July 2006. We went into Afghanistan, remember? We took out a wedding party by accident. Remember, we took out with these very sophisticated missiles we had. We accidentally killed some citizens. Was ever a war more justified than us going into Afghanistan? I can't think of any war since World War II more justified. Yet innocents got killed in us trying to protect America's interests. What a freaking ghoul. You tell me that Joe Biden is this nice grandpa, uncle guy, oh, Uncle Joe with my weird aunt stories about Amtrak and, oh, I'm just a jolly nice guy. No, that's a psychotic thing to say. Just absolutely psychotic. And that is who our president is right now. And because he's Joe Biden, he's going to get a pass, no matter what he does or says. 
and the United States regards Israel as an incredibly close ally. We give Israel billions and billions of dollars every year, and a lot of it isn't even included in the official totals. It's more than people think. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. In 2010, as Vice President, Joe Biden defended Israel's deadly assault on a humanitarian flotilla to Gaza. The raid killed nine people, including one United States citizen. A UN investigation found six deaths were consistent with an extra-legal, arbitrary, and summary execution. So definitely check out Jeremy Scahill's thread there. This is obviously a topic that is touchy. It's, it's a very fraught topic. And um, there are a lot of opinions of, of what should be done. You know, a lot of, even among the left, a lot of opinions about BDS and so on. But when it comes to what's happening right now, I believe that there's only one opinion. Uh, that is correct and and the only correct opinion is no you should not be forcibly of making people move out of their houses and trying to kill them so what i'm referring to is uh israel uh trying to move you know palestinians out of these these houses and I'll get more into the specifics, but this is, you know, the broad picture. And then um, Palestine reacting to that. And then Israel reacting in a way that is killing many civilians at this point and killing children. And um, it's being condemned widely except by for some usual suspects. So let's take a look at what is happening in this moment. I'm gonna start with the UN. So the United Nations has called for this to stop. Stop evictions in East Jerusalem neighborhood immediately. Uh, United Nations Rights Office urges Israel. The UN's Human Rights Office on Friday called on Israel to immediately halt all forced evictions, including those in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood of East Jerusalem, as well as to exercise maximum restraint in the use of force while ensuring safety and security there. And again, this was from the 7th of May, so there has been a lot that's happened since then. Keep that in mind. I'm just reading this one for some background. Eight Palestinian refugee families residing in Sheikh Jarrah are facing forced eviction due to a legal challenge by the Nahalat Shaman Settler Organization, with the risk imminent for four of the families, according to the office. OHCHR spokesperson Rupert Colville said that the evictions, if ordered and implemented, would violate Israel's obligations under international law. Given the disturbing scenes in Sheikh Jarrah over the past few days, 
we wish to emphasize that East Jerusalem remains part of the occupied Palestinian territory in which international humanitarian law applies. The occupying power must respect and cannot confiscate private property in occupied territory and must respect, unless absolutely prevented, the laws and force in the country. He went on to note that Israel cannot impose its own set of laws in occupied territory, including East Jerusalem, to evict Palestinians from their homes. I want to emphasize that this is about evicting Palestinians from their homes. So imagine, uh, um, imagine someone's trying to evict you from your home and, and claim, no, you can't have that home. I'm going to claim that as my own. And that is, that's what's happening here. They're saying, Israel's saying, you can't have that. That's ours. We decided that that's ours. That's what's happening. And a lot of people in the United States think that that's fine. They think it's fine for Israel to say, no, we decided that we're going to have that Palestinian land, that the Palestinian house is there, even though that that is your family's house, we're having that. Sorry. So the Palestinians are saying, no, this is our family home. You can't have it. You can't evict us. So Palestinians are getting upset and protesting. And so um, this has started this whole thing. Uh, Palestinians protesting and it escalated from there. And so you'll see, and we'll, we'll talk about the media narrative here, that in a lot of these headlines, a lot of these mainstream media headlines, it's, um, you know, Palestine does XYZ and Israel, you know, responds and, and things like that. So it, it's hard to cut through the, the clutter out there of what's actually happening. And that's something that's so important is to get to the heart of, of what happened and what's what is happening. On Thursday, Tor Wensland, UN Special Coordinator for the Middle East Peace Process, also urged Israel to stop demolitions and evictions in the neighborhood in line with its obligations under international humanitarian law. Uh, let's see. In practice, the implementation of these laws facilitates the transfer by Israel of its population into occupied East Jerusalem. The transfer of parts of an occupying power's civilian population into the territory that it occupies is prohibited under international humanitarian law and may amount to a war crime, he added. Violation of a right to adequate housing. The OHCHR spokesperson also said that forced evictions could violate the rights to adequate housing and to privacy and other human rights of those who are evicted. Forced evictions are a key factor in creating a coercive environment that may lead to forcible transfer, which is prohibited by the Fourth Geneva Convention and is a grave breach of the convention. Mr. Colville also called on Israel to respect freedom of expression and assembly, including of those who are protesting against the evictions, and to exercise maximum restraint in the use of force while ensuring safety and security in East Jerusalem. The Ummah Welfare Trust 
says this is what is being dropped on the heads of Gaza's children in a week when they were excitedly preparing for Eid. So just imagine being a child and this is what you hear, this is what you see. It's, it's just um, devastating and, and heartbreaking. The moment of a home was bombed in Gaza by occupation warplanes. I can't speak. Pray for us more and pray to Al-Aqsa Mosque and for all Palestinians. And that is one of the things as well that needs to be highlighted is it's not as if, and so Israel wants to paint this as if they're just targeting Hamas. And that's not true. They're actively targeting places of worship of Palestinians and homes. That's, that, those are war crimes. You know, that is not, that is not okay anywhere. Never. So this is um, some of the devastation in, in Gaza from the airstrikes. And Muhammad says Israeli bombing is renewing in western Gaza City. So it sounds like tonight we will probably hear of some more deaths, unfortunately. Here is a chart that shows how much aid that we give to Israel. So in the fiscal year of 2019, all agencies, um, $3 billion, $3 billion, $308 million, And then we only have, it looks like partially reported facts beyond that, but that doesn't count certain things and there are certain ways of uh, moving around the facts and figures depending on, you know, lobbying, depending on certain, certain things. But this gives you an overall idea. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. So we have a vested interest in Israel, as you guys well know. Why do we send them all that money? Well, <laughs> there are a lot of, a lot of different theories, but I think I think you know the answer to that as well. Why do we, you know, why, why do they have so many U.S. made weapons? I think you know the answer to that as well. Who benefits from this? You know the answer to that. Why are we in this position? You know the answer to that. It's a whole big disgusting circle and here are two people that are part of it. Here are some tweets 
by some of our representatives. Here's Sten Steny Ho Hoyer. Israel unequivocally has the right to defend itself and its people. I condemn today's unjustifiable attacks by Hamas against innocent civilians. Israelis and Palestinians both deserve a future of peace and security, and I hope both sides take positive steps to promote that end. That is propaganda, and it's so transparently so that it's almost laughable. But Steny Hoyer's followers don't know that or don't care about that. Representative Brad Schneider says, Hamas's attacks on Israel are unacceptable and I condemn them in the strongest terms possible. Hamas attacks endanger not only Israelis, but the people of Gaza as well and must stop. The United States stands by Israel and its right to defend itself. So it's, it's no surprise that the the right wing is uh is standing up for israel and and violence that's not a surprise you would have asked me i would have said yeah andrew yang he's probably gonna condemn the violence he's probably gonna stay say no the palestinians shouldn't be kicked out of their homes no Israel shouldn't be murdering children with airstrikes. I would have thought that. I'm not a, a fan of Andrew Yang by any stretch of the imagination. I think UBI was a good thing. I think he pushed UBI into the consciousness of, of America more. And for that, I'm grateful. And I think that's good. I, I think he's kind of smarmy and like business wall not wall street but like tech guy like silicon valley guy like i don't know he just comes across that way sort of thing he's he's not bernie you know he's not he's not he's not my guy but i thought he had a heart no he doesn't he does not he does not have a heart let's take a look at what andrew yang had to say about this conflict Andrew Yang said, I'm standing with the people of Israel who are coming under bombardment attacks and condemn the Hamas terrorists. The people of New York City will always stand with our brothers and sisters in Israel who face down terrorism and persevere. Let me read that again. I'm standing with the people of Israel who are coming under bombardment attacks and condemn the Hamas terrorists. The people of New York City will always stand with our brothers and sisters in Israel who face down terrorism and persevere. So you can see some of the um, responses to Andrew Yang are not, not pro-Yang. <laughs> Abby, who of course has done uh, a documentary which by the way they they put up for free now david cleon i realize you knew approximately zero new york jews until about six months ago but i promise you not all of us feel this way chelsea manning yikes aaron mate i'm standing with your conscience if you have one 
It's currently under bombardment by your risable apologia for Israel's crimes against the Palestinian people, who face down constant Israeli state terrorism and cowardly U.S. enablers, yet somehow persevere. Rough. Some facts about Yang for the people throwing up in their mouths, which this is actually a really interesting thread. He launched his campaign with a co-chair, Richie Torres, who said Palestine human rights advocates are mentally ill and is funded by Israeli apartheid to pinkwash it. Andrew Yang recently celebrated an endorsement by one of the most despised racist right-wing Jewish leaders in New York City, who was removed by the city council for claiming Palestinians don't exist. Andrew Yang also celebrated an endorsement by another far-right Jewish leader who was handpicked by Dove Heikend, an open supporter of the Khanis terrorists who are taking Palestinian homes and sharing mosque attacks. His wife fundraises for ethnic cleansing. In fact, Andrew Yang also brought on an aide to that Khanist who is infamous in New York City for wearing blackface to parties and defending it and whose wife sold shirts with the Al-Aqsa Mosque being destroyed to fundraise for ethnic cleansing groups. Andrew Yang's campaign co-chair is one of the top donor recipients of apartheid money from the right. There is also a letter about him from mothers of those killed by NYPD about how he betrayed each of them to favor killer cops. One of Andrew Yang's biggest funder here in Queens, where his spouse is from, is the same funder to that infamous elected official who called AOC a bitch. Andrew Yang was selected to run by the Tusk family, infamous right-wingers who are invested in the demise and suffering of working people to favor the war machine and billionaires. To raise rents, break unions, kill good jobs, and lower wages and healthcare coverage. Andrew Yang's tweet above is being praised and quoted by Ted Cruz and Stephen Miller. <laughs> by the way, it's kind of funny. David Backman's just, just taking a chance to ask for an interview, which is pretty funny. Uh, Ron Coleman, good for you. You're toasted New York City for it. Bishop Talbert Swan. The systemic oppression, institutional discrimination, and violent persecution of Palestinians are crimes against humanity. It is wicked, evil, and inhumane. Glad to know where you stand. So on and on and on. You can check out Andrew Yang's tweet if you really, really want to see people dunking on him. And as someone pointed out, this is at Joshua Potash, Potash, Stephen Miller, Megan McCain, and Ted Cruz are all applauding Andrew Yang's position on Palestine, which completely ignores the Israeli attacks on Palestinians and puts 100% of the blame on the oppressed. What a guy. If I was running for office and Stephen Miller supported anything I said, I would simply drop out. And here it gets even worse, if that's possible. At Nathan T. Bernard, Ted Cruz, 
Bravo to Yang for opposing the rabidly pro-Hamas and anti-Israel attacks from fellow Dems Omar and Talib. Ian Miles Chong, based. I'm, <laughs> yeah. By the way, he, d yeah, there's a lot, a lot wrong with, with Ian Miles Chong. Stephen Miller, yeah, yeah. Andrew Yang is exactly right. Ilhan Omar is outrageously wrong. Retweeted by Tom Cotton. Not exactly the group that you want to put yourself in, Andrew Yang. Of course, people try to get the word out uh, about what's happening because you can't rely on corporate media. You, you can't rely on state media. So interestingly, people have been having trouble getting the word out. Instagram and Twitter blame glitches for deleting Palestinian posts, hmm, imagine that, about Sheikh Jarrah evictions. Instagram and Twitter said the accounts were suspended in error by our automated systems, and the issue has been resolved and content reinstated. It's incredible that this just so happened to happen to Palestinian posts. What a, what a strange occurrence. Wow. So you have Palestinians who are trying to get out their reality of what is happening there on the ground as they're being uh, evicted or the attempt is being made to evict them. And suddenly the social media powers that be are not allowing them. But apparently it's it's just a glitch. What a crazy, crazy coincidence that this just so happened to happen right now, that this just so happened to happen to Palestinians who are trying to get the word out. Just a total coincidence, right? Instagram and Twitter have blamed technical errors for deleting posts mentioning the possible eviction of Palestinians from East Jerusalem. But data rights groups fear discriminatory algorithms are at work and want greater transparency. Palestinians living in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood claimed by Jewish settlers have taken to social media to protest as they face eviction. But some found their posts, photos, or videos removed or their accounts blocked starting last week. It came as a long-running legal case over evictions from homes in Sheikh Jarrah has fueled tensions in Jerusalem, where hundreds of Palestinians clashed with Israeli police on Monday. By Monday, um, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, excuse me if it's mispronounced, Seven uh, Amla, a nonprofit focused on social media, had received more than 200 complaints about deleted posts and suspended accounts related to Sheikh Jarrah. On Instagram, it was mostly content takedown. Even archives from older stories were deleted. On Twitter, most cases were an account suspension, said Mona Shetia, an advoca advocacy advisor at AMLA. Instagram and Twitter said the accounts were suspended in error by our automated systems 
and the issue had been resolved and content reinstated. Instagram said in a statement that an automated update last week caused content reshared by multiple users to appear as missing, affecting posts on Sheikh Jarrah, Colombia, and U.S. and Canadian indigenous communities. We are so sorry this happened, especially to those in Colombia, East Jerusalem, and indigenous communities who felt this was an intentional suppression of their voices and their stories. That was not our intent whatsoever, Instagram said. Calls for clarity. But in a joint statement, Amlay, Access Now, and other digital rights groups called on Twitter and Instagram to use transparent and coherent moderation policies and be more open when takedowns happen. So additionally, uh, others call for more clarity. One of those affected was Hein Kudre, a 25-year-old Palestinian journalist based in Turkey, who noticed last Thursday that some posts about Sheikh Jarrah from her Instagram archives were not loading. I restarted my phone and my Wi-Fi, but it was all still missing and Instagram was very slow, Kudre said. Some of her posts had been restored by Friday afternoon, but some, dating as far back as April and even as recently as Saturday, were still missing, according to screenshots from her phone. Some affected users received messages about violating community standards. So it, it goes on. It's not a coincidence. There's no way that this is a coincidence. There's no way that it's just a, an error and that it just so happened to affect Palestinians and indigenous communities. Um, the, the fact that this happened on Instagram and Twitter and it, it's just, do they think we're stupid? Do they think that we're just dumb and we're just gonna say oh okay yeah that makes sense that makes total sense no we we have to use social media i mean what are we gonna do we we have to go and by we i mean the collective we we have to go where the people are if we want to get the word out about something, we have to go where other people are. If Palestinians want people to know what's happening on the ground, they have to get the word out on, on Instagram or on Twitter where people are gonna see it. So if Instagram, Twitter decide to cancel their accounts or ban them or take down their tweets or their posts, what are they gonna do? Well. They can complain about it. They can, uh, you know, fight it. That's what we had to do with YouTube. We had to say, uh, why did you take down our 2020 compilation of reporting video saying that we were cyberbullying and harassing, which is not the case. And they said, oh, it was uh, because India is having a COVID crisis. That's why we accidentally took your video down. It's like, mm, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? So they reinstated our video. And in this case, Twitter and Instagram are saying, oh, we accidentally, you know, stopped Palestinians from getting the word out about what's happening in Israel. Whoopsie. 
our mistake. Just a glitch. Whoops. So Andrew Brown, uh, Elizabeth City, North Carolina, father of seven. They had a police had a warrant out for his arrest. This is a very small town, Elizabeth City, by the way. And police shot and killed him. Now, as police are wont to do, they lied about it. They lied about what they did. They lied about what Andrew Brown did and they lied about what they did. So through protests, family members were able to watch just 20 seconds of video of body cam footage, redacted body cam footage. And through that and through independent autopsy, it was determined that Andrew Brown was killed with a shot to the back of the head. Now, cops say that Andrew Brown was, was getting away, like he was getting, he was driving away in his vehicle and that's why they shot him. That's not the case. He was cooperating, both hands on the wheel, was, didn't have, he was not a threat to anyone. Cops started shooting at him and then he started to drive away as anyone would do when someone's shooting at you. So that the family today was able to view some more of the footage today. And that was something the judge ruled the public has not been able to see any of it. So this Mediaite article says, one of Andrew Brown Jr.'s family attorneys, Chantel Cherry Lassiter, stood by calling Brown shooting an execution, saying he was trying to escape from police. The Brown family and attorney saw new footage of Brown's death behind closed doors on Tuesday. They saw roughly 20 minutes of the two hour long tape. In April, the family saw a brief snipper of the body cam video. During the press conference afterwards, Lassiter called the shooting an execution. She stood by those comments on the Situation Room after seeing the additional footage. I do stand by that characterization, she explained, because he was shot in the back of the head as he was leaving the area. He was trying to escape gunfire. He was trying to escape being targeted and attacked, and he was trying to save his life, and he was still shot in the back of his head as he was leaving. Another attorney for the Brown family, Harry Daniels, reacted earlier by saying, now we know why they didn't want to release the tape. Andrew Brown Jr.'s sons also spoke out at the press conference. Gerard Farabee said his father did not deserve to die. He did not deserve to get killed in any way, shape, or form. He did not pose any threat at all. There's no way this could be justified. Lassiter continued the family's call for the complete footage to be released. She also called for the district attorney to recuse himself from the case due to close ties with the sheriff's department. So that is the latest update. Um, as is expected, the, the family and the attorneys did not get to see much of the footage. It's more than the 20 seconds that they were able to see before but 20 minutes is still not the full two hours. And I'm uncertain if they were able to see all of the angles. There were multiple body cams. And this was redacted. 
So when the judge ruled on this, he said that things needed to be redacted, such as faces and things like that. And the, the fact that this needed to happen, that, that things needed to be redacted, that it needed to be delayed for so long is highly suspicious. And status quo was on the ground covering the protests and marches and memorials for Andrew Brown. And over and over we heard people say that they suspected that this was a cover-up, unequivocally. We heard from Andrew Brown's neighbor who was an eyewitness to his murder. She stated what happened and she feels that the police are 100% wrong in what they're doing and saying. It's disappointing that the police are unwilling to hand over the footage to the family. I believe it is in the public's interest to see this footage. There was a group of media that, that did try to get you know, the, the judge to release footage to the media, to the public, that it's in the public's interest, but the judge did not go for that. Um, it is most important for the family to see that footage, but once again, they did not you know, fully get access to that. And why? Well, the judge said it would taint, you know, this, this is a paraphrase, but that it would uh, taint the, uh, the justice process. While they, he certainly wasn't concerned with the justice process when Andrew Brown was being shot in a driveway. And that's what happens. Black people are getting murdered by police all the time. All the time. It just keeps happening and keeps happening. And the Derek Chauvin trial was, uh, felt like a victory for a short time. The charges weren't enough, but Derek Chauvin was convicted on all three of the, the charges that he had and people rightfully celebrated because a lot of activists and and folks worked very very hard but that that wasn't the system working that was people working that was people working and, and pressuring the system so what now well uh, you know the, the powers that be are hoping everyone goes back to sleep Andrew Brown's story, I don't think is going to make mega headlines. You know, to, what happened today isn't going to make mega headlines. It's good that they had uh, Attorney Lassiter on CNN, but the story isn't going to be on 24-7. You know, it's it's not going to be cycled over and over again. George, George Bush. Georgie Porgy Bush. Georgie Porgy Bush pudding and pie. Dallas Morning News. Oh, God. President Bush's portraits of immigrants reflect a lifelong kindness to strangers. What? 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 <laughs> I can't. I can't. Help me. I cannot. 
How could anybody write this with a straight face? How? How? President Bush's portraits of immigrants reflect a lifelong kindness to strangers. This is out of the Dallas News. It was my first wedding reception where there was a saw where sawdust purposely placed on the dance floor. Apparently the grist makes it easier for guests to glide a jaunty Texas two-step. There I was in the stifling May heat of Midland, a fish out of water Hispanic law student, wearing an ill-fitting sport coat and oversized glasses. I was the only brown-skinned person in the room other than the wait staff. Oh my gosh. I stood near the wall of that dance hall, half hiding behind an oak support beam, hoping to cast a small enough figure that no one would notice that I probably didn't belong. I had been invited to attend the wedding by a close friend, and I had been looking forward to the grand affair for weeks, primarily because I had heard through the grapevine that the newly elected governor, George W. Bush, would attend. I had always been interested in Texas politics, and of course I jumped at a chance to meet the governor. Now that that moment had arrived, I just wanted to go home, or at least go unnoticed. As cocky as I was at 24 years old, in that moment, I felt conspicuously out of place and was scouting for the nearest exit. Then something extraordinary happened. One unexpected person noticed me, a Latino student standing against a wall in a room full of wealthy ranchers and oilmen and made his way over. First of all, if, if someone is in a room of wealthy ranchers and oilmen, do you think they're going to be unkind if they're the governor of Texas? You think they're gonna roll in there and just be a total asshole? <laughs> no. George W. Bush, the governor of Texas, had spotted me and somehow innately understood my discomfort in that moment. Across that dusty dance floor, through throngs of people exponentially more important than me, Governor Bush came right up to me, looked me square in the eye, extended his hand for a shake and said, Hello, young man. How are you this evening? He seemed to understand my trepidation that day, and he single-handedly set out to assuage my discomfort. For nearly half an hour, we spoke of Texas Rangers baseball, the happenings of the Texas legislature that session, and how his father was doing in retirement. Did you, did you talk about uh, his father's role in... Um, JFK? Did you talk about his grandfather's role in the Nazis? Hmm. Of all the people in that room he could have spoken to that evening, the out-of-place stranger was the one George W. Bush welcomed first. I have never forgotten the kindness and sincerity Governor Bush, now former President Bush, showed to me that evening and has shown to so many other strangers during his public service. Yeah, it was really kind how he lied about weapons of mass destruction and got us into a t war all these decades and bombed so many people, so many brown people. Really nice. It comes as no surprise to me that during and after his presidency, he has championed reasonable yet compassionate immigration reform. 
Yeah, that's that's what I think of when I think of good old W. The former president's new book, Out of Many, One, Portraits of America's Immigrants, is an eloquent peon to the millions of Americans who have struggled and persevered to become citizens of this great country. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> Unfortunately, many of today's political leaders are more interested in demonizing immigration for political gain rather than praising its virtue. His paintings strengthen our resolve to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, as Christ taught us. No, <laughs> he's, he's comparing George Bush to Christ. I don't expect the nation's politics to magically return to that of the Bush administration. What? Ugh. Nor do I hear the former president advocating for open borders, amnesty, or anything radical. I am simply hoping, hopeful that my fellow Americans will follow the former president's example and see the beauty and strength in their immigrant neighbors. <laughs> as the good book says, and as Governor Bush exemplified personally to me so long ago, let us welcome the strangers. By Jason Villalba. Vil Villalba. Jason Villalba. Uh, I just, I, I just, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. What? That's all I can say. What do you say to that? <laughs> like, I, I have so many psychological, like, yeah, I want to know this. The, the, I have so many questions. <laughs> what is that guy thinking? Like, first of all, does he believe those things? Um, or, or is he like pushing an agenda or is it like, was he doing a favor for someone? If he does believe those things, um, how brainwashed is he? How out of touch of reality is he? If he does not believe those things, I would like to know how much it took to buy him to buy his, like, to, to buy his loyalty, I guess. So many questions, just so many. Just, just yikes. Major, major yikes.